good to see everyone out this morning, and uh, I hope you have a, a, a nice weekend. We've had some absolutely beautiful weather and to, to enjoy, and so it's a lot of blessings our way right now. So, uh, in keeping where I've been preaching, let's, let's turn to 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, and uh, we're going to make it through Peter here before long. And uh, I hope you've learned some things because, uh, you know, it's you read passages and you read books and you you think, okay, got that, I'll, I'll talk about that. And whenever you start studying for it, and you're like, uh-oh. Now I've read over that passage and never paid attention to that. And so you learn a lot of things. And, and here again, I, as last week, whenever I preached, uh, you know, 1 Peter 3, 19, I told you, you know, this is what I think it means. Well, it's got a similar passage in today's and in, in starting chapter 4. So uh, let's let's see how far we get along here and uh, with chapter 4 discussing this. But uh, a lot of good stuff in 1 Peter. So starting off verse 1, it says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. So he's telling us, Christ had suffering in the flesh. You better get ready. You're going to have suffering. Now, what does he mean by this? Because, And he says, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, you can understand this a little bit better if you just drop down real quick to verse 4. It says, and all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses, dissipation, excesses of dissipation and they malign you. So whenever we become more like Christ and we put away the fleshly man, we become more like Christ, the world's going to start persecuting. <coughs> We're going to have afflictions in the flesh is what he's saying. <coughs> we'll talk a little bit more about this. But he said, get ready. It's going to happen. And it's talking about getting your mind right. And so he's telling us, Christ suffered, you should expect it. And, and then he goes on down. So, and he tells us, if we're suffering in the flesh, we've ceased to sin. And I think that's, that's an important uh, area that you need to think about is... Do you ever get questioned in your life? Do you ever uh, get those conversations of where you think you're better than us? Because you don't do this anymore? Because every one of us should have things that we've done in our past that we no longer do. If we're saying no to be more Christ-like, I'm going to do this. So think about that and, uh, and see if you're meeting this passage. Verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer the lust of men, but the will of God. So he's telling us, put on this person and quit living in the lust of the flesh. We've done that. Every one of us has done that. And he gives us some descriptions. And this is not a comprehensive list. I think Peter here in verse 3, he's telling us, don't live by the lust of men. Because you think about the world. If it looks good to us, we go do it. Right? 
Think about the wealthy person. If you were the wealthiest person and you didn't have Christ in your life, would you withhold anything from yourself? I wouldn't. I'd go do it. We discuss Wednesday night. Sin is fun. I wouldn't withhold myself. I'd, I'd go have fun because I had the means to do it. But he's telling us here, no longer seek the lust of men, but the will of God. So make sure you realize many times what we people like can be opposed to what God wants. And I, I think you can almost take any situation and make it oppose God's will because whenever you're putting your wants and wishes first, you're not putting God first. And God wants us, he wants our first fruits, he wants us, and that's what he's telling us here. Verse 3, and this is what we discussed a little bit, for the times past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. Now whenever he talks about the desires of the Gentiles, if you've been here in Bible study, we had a, we had a good conversation about the word worldly. Now, I didn't think about that whenever we were sitting here talking about that. But this is actually another one of those times that you could put the desires of the world in that for the Gentiles. Whenever you see the word Gentiles, if it's not referring to a sect, it's usually referring to worldly people. Because whenever this is a Jew, Peter's a Jew, Jews would have seen the Gentiles as worldly people. And so the desires of the Gentiles having pursued, and he, he points out a few things here, sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Now, we could take a whole path, we could take a whole lesson and go over each one of these things. Sensuality. So, is, so, and I want to do that, but just pointing out, whenever I look at sensuality, is there's way, God gives us ways to handle that, right? So we can handle those in certain ways, and there's certain ways we can't handle those. Uh, drunkenness. I don't, I can't find a good way to handle drunkenness. I can't, I can't describe, uh, uh, a, a way God gave us to handle drunkenness. Uh, but carousing and drinking parties. Uh, this, is, this is one of those things of an area that we all like to be liked by people, right? I mean, nobody in here usually raises their hand and says, you know, I want to be the most hated person in Jessup, Georgia. We don't do that. We all want to raise our hand and say, you know, I want to be, you know, liked by people. You know, I hate it whenever I have to go to meetings and, and say, you know, disappoint people and say, no, that's not the direction we're going. We're going here. And everybody's just wrong. You know, I hate those meetings. But you have to do that sometimes. But the whole point is, as Christians, we're going to put away a lot of these things. We're going to disappoint our friends. Whenever we're saying, uh, hey, I don't go to uh, fraternity parties because the purpose of those a lot of times is, is, is there's nothing in there for the Lord. 
There's nothing good. Uh, so I think whenever you look at some of these things, the lust, people are going to realize you're doing something different. And, and you've got to be different. I think that's what verse 3 is saying. So it's, it's, it's relating to putting away fleshly things, going for spiritual things for God. And, and as we already talked about verse 4, in all this, don't be surprised that people that you used to run with are going to malign you. They're going to say things about you. I always go back to the story. I always go back to the story because I have a personal belief, I mean, a personal thing on this. So I was running for office. And um, so somebody, and I actually know who started the rumor, actually said, well, I think Clay does drugs. Now, you don't know me. You know me now. You could know me in high school. And uh, that rumor got quashed pretty quickly because people came up to me and said, number one, you're too cheap to do drugs. <laughs> and anybody that knew you in high school knew you didn't even drink. But what was that person trying to do? They were trying to use something to malign me. Was I surprised? But the good news is, now I can't say this about every aspect of my life. That was one that anybody that even knew me partially heard that one. They, were, they laughed. Actually, people started laughing. And uh, that was one of those funny times. Uh, but people are going to malign you. And, and they have their own reasons. And, and you need to make sure we're living a Christ-like life because whenever you do that, Think people will begin. People will look at no. That's that's the furthest thing from the truth for Clay. Uh, but we're going to have that as we do spiritual things. Verse five. They will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, so he switches here. He says he tells us in verse one and two. Hey, make sure you're living for God. Get ready for suffering. Stay away from the lust of the flesh because there's going to be a judgment. That's what he's telling us here. He's, there's going to be a judgment. You're going to have to answer for what you do. You're going to have to answer for what you're, you're going to do. And that's what he's telling us in verse 5. Now that's, you know, if we have to give an account, and that's one of the things about we live in life, we can be a lot better people We'd be a lot better people if every night we had to sit in front of the judgment seat in front of God and answer what we did. Wouldn't we? But that's not how God set it up. We get to live our lives. We get to make decisions. And at the end of that, He's going to judge us. Now I truly believe I truly believe that's what us Christians are supposed to be doing for each other. We're supposed to be helping each other get to heaven. And every once in a while, we need to be nudging each other to say, you know, you need to think about this. But there's going to be a judgment day. And I don't know about you, but I still think about Paul on that road to Damascus. 
Paul didn't, he didn't back up on anything. But on that road to Damascus, he fell on his feet and fell on his knees. Excuse me. He bowed his head. And I still think of that in my day of judgment. What am I going to do? And I got news for you. I'm going to be trembling. I'm going to be scared. Because I can tell you my life was not pristine. Just as that's why we have forgiveness. And I just hope that I'm doing enough and that I'm trying to get my life to the point that, that on that judgment day. So verse 5 is talking about judgment day. Verse 6. This is a tough passage. I'm not going to tell you I get this right. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. I'm going to read that. Though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. So what is, what is he talking about here preached? In verse 19 of, of the third chapter of 1 Peter, we talked about a proclamation. Christ went and made a proclamation to those of, of the unbelievers of Noah's time. And we said last week that, that this proclamation was Christ was going to say, I am king, I've overcome, I'm, I'm going to be sitting at the right hand of God. That's what I, I told you, I explained that. I think it could mean that. I also think this passage here in the context Notice in verse 5, but they will give an account to him. Notice in verse 5, it says they will give an account. It's a future tense. We are going to give an account to the judge. That's future. Notice in verse 6, for the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached. Past tense. That's past tense. So what I think it is, notice that Paul, Peter, is, if I say Paul on this, we're talking about Peter this morning. Peter is writing this book 30 plus years past when Christ died on the cross. Okay? So the gospel's been around. So we've had 30 years of people that have died and heard the gospel. Now in this passage, because in verse 5, I believe we were talking about judgment, and he's saying, you will be judged. He's saying... The people that have already died are going to be judged too because they've heard the gospel. That's what I, I think that's what this passage is meaning. I will not uh, stand up here and be adamant because the passage we talked about in verse 19 of the third chapter and this passage are tough passages to understand. So that though they are judged, we're going to be judged as men in our fleshly deeds. And whenever we're judged, it's going to be so we can be in spirit with God. That we may live in spirit according to the will of God. We're going to be judged, and we're going to be, uh, after we're judgment, we're going, we're going to be living in spirit. So, that, that's what that means. So, verses 1 through 6 is kind of a, a one thought. And he's telling you there's going to be a judgment. Get ready for suffering in this physical life. Verse 7, he goes through and he's going to tell us, hey, here's some things. He told us what not to do. 
in verse 3, right? He told us what not to do. Now he's going to go, he's changing to the positive. He says, he's now going to tell us what to do. The end of all things is near. Judgment is closer. Isn't judgment closer today than it was 10 years ago? Yes, I believe it is. If you believe there's a judgment, you have to say the same thing. Now, my judgment might come after my death, but my judgment is closer than it was 30 years ago. So the end is near. Therefore, be sound, be sound, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Be of sound judgment. So the time is near. Be of sound judgment. There's two different ways some people apply this passage. And I think both of them are, are correct. I apply this. Be of sound judgment. So it is, it is time is near. I need to be studying God's word and having good judgment as a Christian. That's what I think. And within the word and is, is put in there. And be, and he tells us, and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Now, some people believe you need to have sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. I think this could be because he's got the word and in here. Be of sound judgment. He's telling us to be of sound judgment in our lives. And we need to be thinking about the things that we're doing and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. So whenever we're thinking about praying for the Lord, praying to the Lord, do we have a sober spirit? Are we just flippantly asking for things? Do we seriously go before our Lord? But the one of the things I want to think, the, the most important thing here, I think, out of this passage, he tells us the end of all things is near. Make sure you have prayer in your life. Do you see that? Are you using the communication tool that God gave you to communicate with? If you get nothing else out of verse 7, the end of all things is near. Have sober judgment. Have sound judgment. Have a sober spirit. And make sure you pray. That's what I think you need to get out of that. Because we need to be having prayer. Now, the interesting thing, he gives, he tells you this is the end time. Verse 8, he changes something here. He tells us prayer is important. I'm going to tell you prayer is important. I think it's important. But then he comes in verse 8 and he says, above all. Some, some versions say more important. So, more important than our sound judgment, our sober spirit, and praying, verse 8 said, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love comes close to the sins. I keep going back to this, and I, and, I, and I think it's interesting that he said above all. The more I read, I, I keep telling y'all, the more I read the New Testament, this, this thing about loving each other keeps coming up. And, and this is one of those passages he actually says above all. 
Make sure you do. Now, this is the passage. Uh, Sandra and I was trying to figure out what does it mean. So, above all, uh, love one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I'm totally wrong, but I've grown up many years thinking this passage here, if I love my brethren, that's going to cover a multitude of sins, of my sins. I was thinking of it from my perspective. I think it can mean that because I think we're following the command of God. But I think really and truly what this passage is saying, be fervent in your love to one another because it's going to cover, it's, it's not going to forgive a multitude of sins, but it's going to help us all to keep from sinning from each other. And so let's think about this. What do I mean by this? And, and, and I don't know if I'm going to articulate this right. This, to me, is, is I've got a choice. If somebody in this congregation is living in sin, I have a choice and how I handle that sin. <clears throat> Do I run and go tell everybody, can you believe what they're doing? Can you believe that, look at them, they are the sorriest Christians. I cannot believe they're doing that. <clears throat> or, it would be what I would do for my kids. Because I have love for them. If my kids are sinning, and Santa and I, we, we said, and we do this. We do this as parents. We want everybody to think the best of our kids, right? So do we all get up in front of everybody and tell everything our kids are doing wrong? We don't do that. But do we correct our kids? Do we do it discreetly? Do we do it in love? Do we make a win-win for our kids? I can assure you, at the Bethay household, there are some win-loses set up for my kids. But those win-loses, loses, win-lose situations might be set up over $20, $50, $100. Those win-lose situations are never set up over my kids' salvation. You see what I'm saying? I always set up a win-win situation whenever it comes to my kids' eternal purpose. Now you might think, you set up, yeah, I set up some win-lose situations for my kids. I wanted them to feel, they need to feel defeated every once in a while. But I'm very cautious whenever I'm setting those situations up. Sandra and I are very cautious that these are small situations. They're never a big situation. We work very hard to make sure our kids have win-wins in their life. And that's what he's telling us here, I think, is whenever we're dealing with one another, and he tells us love covers a multitude of sins, we're going to help brothers and sisters get out of sin, and we're going to keep them from sinning if we're truly loving them, and we're setting up win-win situations. That's what I think it is. And, it's, and, and I always, I go back to this, this, what you do with your kids. 
the thing that you totally love, you're going to set up that situation. I do, in these past, whenever I'm preaching lessons like I'm doing at First Peter, I don't go to other pastors to explain things. But I am going to, on, on this passage here, Proverbs, the 10th chapter, verse 12. And, that, and I think this is where Peter's pulling this from. Proverbs 10, verse 12, he says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. If we hate somebody, don't we use every mistake they make to bury them? Now, as Christians, we, we got to put hate out of our heart. We shouldn't be doing that. I made a comment the other day in a meeting. And there's two ways you could have made taken that comment. And a person took that comment the negative way and said, you'll hear that again. And they were not meaning nice things to me. That person had hate in their heart. And the point is, whenever we read verse 8, above all, and notice he said above all, and he gives us several things here, have love for one another. It's going to cover a multitude of sins. We're going to help each other not sin if we love each other. Now that doesn't mean I don't ever come by and say, hey, I think you got a problem. That doesn't mean we're going to accept sin. It means we're trying to figure out the win-wins for each other and not setting up those win-losers. And I can tell you, as a world, we're taught to set up win-lose. And if you don't understand what I'm talking about whenever I talk about a win-win situation, I win and the person I'm talking to wins. That's what I'm talking about. Because whenever we go to a football game, it's a win-lose proposition. Right? And I don't have a problem with sports. That, I mean, I, I do not have a problem with sports. But us Christians, love sets up win-wins. I think sports a good way, because you're going to lose sometime in life. But whenever it comes to our Christianity, we better be trying to set up win-wins for each other. And that's what he's talking about. I'll move on. Verse 9, be hospitable to one another because it's easy. I love passages like this. Didn't notice them 20 years ago. Now, hospitality typically refers to strangers, but he's talking about brethren here. Because uh, that's, that's the context. The, the verse actually reads, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Is it easy to be hospitable to one another? I will say a lot of times it is. I will tell you a lot of times I have fun being hospitable with people. But isn't it work, Patsy, to clean up your house and to cook food? And then for somebody to come over and to walk in your house with dirty feet. If you've been hospitable to people, that's happened to you. Now I make up. 
Or they walked through some dog poop outside. They didn't, you know. And they strung it through. The point is, being hospitable isn't always easy. And he's telling us here, for the brethren, be hospitable and don't complain about it. Do you realize us and how we interact with each other is work? And I know every day you meet me, you just don't go away with a ray of sunshine. But it tells you not to complain about me. It tells you to love me and to be hospitable without complaint. And that's, I got news for you. This is one of those things, to even to this day, I might do something for somebody so I don't deserve that. I think I violate this passage whenever I do that. And it's easy to do. So be careful because be hospitable to one another. And he's talking about brethren here, to one another without complaint. Verse 10, as each one has received special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold uh, grace of God. So be hospitable. Each one of us has received a special gift. Now, I think, and notice it says a special gift. I think we've all received the gift of grace of God. And he tells us here at the end of this passage to be good stewards of the manifold with the grace of God. But I do believe that we all have different gifts that's been given to us. And I don't know what your gift is. I think this passage here, but notice what it says. Employ it in serving one another. Notice that the end, go back to verse 7, the end of all things is near. He's telling us how to act. We're supposed to be serving one another. I don't know what your gift is. I mean, I can sit here and tell different people what their gifts are. There's people in this congregation, every one of y'all got something you do for me special. Sometimes you know that and you don't know that. But every one of you's got it. And we're supposed to be serving one another. And I go back to that that. Employ it in serving one another. Did you notice it didn't say wait for everybody to serve you? We're out. We're servants. Whenever we become Christians, we first serve God, and then we serve our brethren, and then we're serving the world. And whenever I say the world, we're trying to preach the gospel to the world. But notice how we're supposed to be doing this. So, uh, verse 10 so you have gifts. Make sure you're using your gifts to serve each other. And then whatever you do in verse 11, and whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking from the utterances of God. We all like to be wise people. We all like to show people how much wisdom we have and what knowledge we have. Here he's telling us 
speak from the utterances of God. He's not telling them to preach Clay's lesson. Preach God's lesson. This is what I think God wants us to do. So I think, be careful. And so he's saying, give God the credit. This is about God. This isn't about you. Go back to the next, the verse 10. Serving one another. It's about serving God. The utterance of God. Whoever served is to do so as one who is serving the strength which God supplies. I'm doing this today for you because I've developed and I've done all this great study and I'm the smartest guy in the world. Now that statement right there is an obvious violation of this passage, right? That's an obvious whoever serves serving by the strength of God. I'm standing before you because the Lord blessed me with good parents that helped me develop some skills. Dave Bradford at Auburn University helped me develop some more skills. Bobby Witherington, a preacher, sat me down a couple of times and says, you're not interpreting that scripture right, son. And, I, and I'm kind of going through noticing that God gave me the ability to come and to be able to do this. And so the whole point is, give God the uh, credit for what you do. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. So everything we do, so go back to verse 7, the end of time is near. Here's how you're supposed to act. Here's things you're supposed to be doing. And while you're doing it, give God the credit. That's what he's telling. So in summary, what we've done today is he told us to be Christ-like. Prepare yourself. You're going to have to suffer some. Because as you turn more to Christ and you put away fleshly things, this world is going to malign you. This world is going to persecute you. He's going to tell you to turn away from those things. And then he says, you better do that because there's going to be a judgment. And then he tells us in verses 7 through 11 what we're supposed to be doing. So that's the lesson for today. I didn't get finished with this chapter, but it's, it's about time to close up. But the point is, is as Christians, notice he tells us what not to do in today's lesson, and he's told us how to treat each other and have love for one another. And, and notice, <coughs> he didn't give us real specific examples in how to do this. He's talking in some high principles. And I think you can apply this in anything that you do. Uh, and I don't know about you, but on Judgment Day, I don't want to get there and realize I left somebody out in the brotherhood, in the sisterhood. Brotherhood. Whenever I say brotherhood, I mean everybody. So as Christians, let's make sure we're serving one another. Let's make sure we're giving God the credit. And realize we got a purpose in our hearts to serve God because 
There's going to be some trials. There's going to be those trials. And there's nothing you and I can do about it. So if there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, we always leave this time at the end of service. If there's anyone here uh, that has that has fallen short and has brought reproach against the church and you need the prayers of the brethren. And we all, uh, we pray a lot of times in our prayer, forgive us of our sins because we all realize we need that, that forgiveness. And that's what we're here for, for one another. So come forward as we stand and sing.